Um, in fact, can you? I can't get this off. Will you? Would you turn the sound down? Yeah. For some reason, it's attached to this, and I can't turn it off. <laughs> so I was like, "Well, we're stuck with it today." Um, but while he's doing that, the whole thing of rewriting Jesus is the aspect of um, thank you. Um, of telling the story of Jesus rightly and knowing him rightly. Because even though it says, you know, love love yourself before loving others or, you know, ignore the poor, they have created their own circumstances. These are things that we often hear every day, but they're not how Jesus responds to these issues. And when I say, you know, the question is, are we rewriting Jesus? Um, the question... Maybe, Mark, maybe turn it down just a little bit more. Thank you. Um, Even if, are we rewriting Jesus, is the question of, are we living the Sermon on the Mount? And are we living how Jesus has commanded us to live? So I'm going to open in prayer, and um, and then we're going to dive into the Bible together. So, Lord, I just thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for uh, using me this morning as your messenger. God, I pray for you to, to anoint my lips that may truly may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Oh, Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. So we're going to talk about the Sermon on the Mount. If you will, grab a Bible, whether it's in a pew or one that you brought, and you're going to turn to Matthew 5. Matthew 5, of course, it's the first book of the New Testament. In Matthew 5, you're going to see a whole lot, if you have a Bible that has red, it's going to be just red, red, red for two chapters. So this is actually the longest sermon that Jesus ever taught. Um, so if Jesus taught a sermon, in fact, it's really the only main sermon we see Jesus preach. A lot of times he would teach lessons as he was doing miracles or as he was interacting. But a lot of times you'll see this is the only space where he but he went to the mount and he set himself before the people and said, if you want to hear the message of God to your heart, this is exactly why I came. And this is exactly what I want to tell you and tell you how you should live. And so uh, raise your hand in, in this place if you're a Christian. Hope we all are. All right. Questionable for those who did not. Um, <laughs> hey, you're working it out. You're working it out. All right. So, um, so this is this is a message for Christians. You know, this is a message that Jesus is teaching for us to know how to walk in His ways, to walk in His kingdom. So, if you go, man, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to to walk in Him? Um, Jesus basically says, "I'm going to tell you what it's like right here." And so I'm going to, I want to ask you a question. Who controls your life? What runs your day? So I want you to imagine yourself a car. You can be a souped up car. You can be a minivan, whatever, whatever you want to be. But imagine yourself in a car right now. And I want to, I want you to imagine where are you seated in the car? If this, if this car is your life, where are you seated? Are you driving or are you in the passenger seat? 
And I want you to think about it, who is giving you the directions on where to go. Because that's, that's really what it, it comes down to, is that some of us see ourselves behind the wheel, maybe in control, but there's always a navigator. Maybe you're in, you feel like you're in the passenger seat, but someone is at the wheel and it's directing you where you should go. No matter what, there's always a navigator who's, who's instructing you and encouraging you on what choices to make and what paths to take. And so some would think that they have no control, that the navigator is so powerful that we're merely a passenger as the navigator takes over the wheel by force. The navigator can have many names, such as family, friends, a job, bad circumstances, financial trouble, bad relationships, a busy schedule, and an addiction, etc., etc. Sometimes it feels like there's something that is pressing in our life that might be an unwanted source or, you know, something that we love that is just taken over the wheel of our life. There's a phrase, the devil made me do it. And there are times that, there are many times that the enemy can use us to bring harm to others. But Jesus shows us in the Beatitudes that we actually have more control than any other force outside to determine our path. We have an active part in our spiritual growth and how our lives go. We will see this today in Scripture. So I want you just to, to look at the beginning of Matthew 5 real quick. Just glance at it in your Bible. It, this is probably the most famous, uh, I would say, known thing about um, Matthew 5, which is the Beatitudes. You know, blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those. Um, and then he goes into all, all the rest. So I want you to just kind of set your finger there, but, but we're going to go into that and in, in more in a minute. When Jesus walked the earth, he attract, attracted a number of people to himself. I want you to imagine, I wish I had, I put a picture up here. I found a really cool picture of Jesus alone at this mountaintop and just multitudes coming to him. I mean, he's new on the scene. People are going, whispering, is he the Messiah? Is he the one that we've been waiting for? In some ways, they were looking not for a savior for their heart. They were looking for a savior from their circumstances, that they were being oppressed by the government. And just like Moses set the people free from the political reign of Pharaoh, they thought that God was going to send another political hero, even in the form of his son, to be a Messiah to save him from the circumstances. But here's the reason why God would never send a political leader, because no matter how God saved Moses, those, the people of Israel generations after still became enslaved by another political leader. And so even if Jesus would have saved them from the reign of Roman of the Romans, there would still be another leader, such as an Adolf Hitler, that would enslave the people. And so there's an issue that he was addressing here about it's not necessarily your outward change that makes a difference. It's about freedom on the inside. And so he's, he's trying to address these people as they come to him, thinking here's the hero that's come to save the day. Here's the one that we've been waiting for. And so here's all these people. And I love that he sits down among them and teaches them the bottom line, of, bottom line truths of how he wants them to grow up. This scriptural account, the Sermon on the Mount, is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If we are asked to suggest an overall theme of the Grand Sermon, it would be, be different. 
If you could label it one thing, it's just be different. Now, what does that really mean? Because time and time again, Jesus states the way that things were among the religious types of their day, and then he instructs them to be different. For example, all throughout Matthew, um, you're going to hear this, Matthew 5, 21 through 22, he says, you have heard, but I say to you. In 27 and 28, you have heard, but I say to you. 33 through 34, again, you have heard, but I say to you. 38 and 39, you have heard, but I say to you. And then in 43 and 44, you have heard, but I say to you. We kind of get the picture, right? That there's all these voices that say one thing, but he says, but my voice does not say the same thing. That my ways are not the same ways. And so when you have heard something, we might need to ask ourselves, but what did he say? Because this is, there is always an opposing thought. It's kind of like that cartoon with, you know, the good guy and the bad guy in the shoulder trying to influence the person of what to do. And I would like to say that on one shoulder, it is that you have heard. And the other shoulder is, but what I say. And I think that that is always the thing that's in our lives of going that. And that actually is the navigator in your life of what do you hear and what do you believe? Then in Matthew 6, Jesus further explains how listeners are to be different when they give to the needy, when they pray, when they fast. The key verse in this sermon is, so do not be like them. So we see this be different in Matthew 5, and then he's calling us even further to be separated from the world. Do not be like them. You see, Jesus saw through all the pride and hypocrisy of others and was determined to instill in his disciples character traits of humility and authenticity. His unique teachings cut to the facade of religion like a sharp knife through warm butter. It remains to this day the most comprehension comprehensive text in all the New Testament of the Christian counterculture, offering a lifestyle totally different than the world system. So are you willing to be different today? Are you willing to be separated, to be a disciple, to look like Jesus? Because if we say we're like him, we have to look like him. Well, he's going to tell us how. Because what a stubborn people we can be, and that's just, that's just humanity. Selfish to the core, we want our way, not someone else's, and certainly not God's. Short-sighted, we want immediate and the obvious, not the ultimate and the hidden. Easily irritated and impatient. Our first reaction when taken advantage of is to retaliate, to establish a defensive post- posture and not give anyone an inch. Those efforts only intensify when faced with an adversary. When we aren't satisfied with simply standing our ground and being determined, getting even becomes our agenda. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus offered revolutionary, even strange advice for his people. Without pulling his punches, Jesus addressed the very best way to handle sensitive situations with those who threaten our personal rights. He offered countercultural countercultural counsel and dared us to obey in place of retaliation release instead of hate love don't get even pray 
It is with this counsel in Jesus' sermon that most people have their greatest struggles. And I believe that is the truth. So what we're going to do real quick, I'm going to give you like an overview of Matthew 5 through 7. And then I'm basically going to hunt, like kind of hit you with like the synopsis, you know what I mean, of what he's saying. And, and then we're going to go a little bit deeper into this. So Matthew 5 opens with the blessings, the Beatitudes, right? I was talking to you about that. Verses, um, it says 2 through 10, because he taught them. He, I love it. It says, then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. And so these are the first things that Jesus says, blessed. Blessed are those. Well, if you want to take the word blessed, it actually means happy. So if you want to be happy, Jesus is saying, this is the way to be happy. Um, so we have this opening of, of this blessing. Basically, he's blessing them. And these are the people who are also coming to him. They're poor in spirit. They're hunger. They're thirsty. They want a Messiah. He's saying, you know, if you, you, those who are sitting here right now, blessed and happy are you who are seeking after me. And, um, and they are, they're finding that they're finding that, um, they can be happy in these things. So then Jesus talks about who they are. I love that he's, he gives them a blessing, kind of blessing them with his mouth. And then he goes, I'm going to tell you who you are. So they are salt. He opens by telling them that they are salt. Now, during the Roman times, salt was so valuable that soldiers were paid in salt. Um, that is where the term comes from, you're worth your weight in salt. Um, um, or are you worth your salt? Because um, salt was a form of wealth. It was a preservative, as we know. It was good for food. It was good for um, medicine. There were so many things that salt did that it uh, really changed everything for for them. Um, we derive this is. I thought this is interesting. We derive the word salary from the word word salt. Did not know that. But I thought that was really cool. Salt is an important element to your body. You need need it to function properly. Um, back in the day before refrigerators, salt was used to preserve food. The fact that Jesus called them and, and us salt is the value that we have and what we bring to the world to preserve his message and his truth. And so he's basically saying to them, you're valuable. You have worth. No matter what anybody else has said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the best of the best. You are valuable in my sight. Then Jesus calls us the light of the world. It says in 1 John 5, 7, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. When we walk in the light, we're walking like him. We're walking in him. So not only is he saying you're valuable, he says you are of me. You are like of me. So when I'm calling you, I'm not just calling you the best. I'm not saying that you have worth. I'm saying you are my very own. That when people look at you, they see me. That you are the light. And that light cannot be easily hidden. The fact that Jesus calls us salt is that a value that we have and what we bring to the world, like I said. And light cannot be anything other than what it is. It's bright. It dispels darkness and enables people to see what they are doing. 
God is light, and since he sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of believers, so are we. As his ambassadors on the earth, we shine even when we don't know it. There's times you shine and you don't know it. You are the light of the world. He gives us the command not to lose our saltiness and never hide our light. Our salt and light glorify God, and they are what people see in us that shows that Jesus is real. You know, when you, wherever you go, people can see that Jesus is real by the way that you live, by the way that you love Jesus, by the way that you let your light shine before all men. So Jesus validates us. How, what a cool thing is that, that God comes and says, let me tell you, you have great worth to me. And not only that, I have made you just to be like myself. And then he validates his own calling in verse 17. He goes and he preaches um, the fulfillment of all he has said and done. So I love this because in verse 17, he, Jesus goes into that he is the fulfillment of the law. He is the fulfillment of basically the Ten Commandments and every law that has been given. What he's going to go through and essentially is kind of like going through the Ten Commandments. And he's going to say, this is how it's really lived out. Because I'll tell you, so many times we think that God is just asking us to be good or to obey or that if I mess up the law, that then it's, you know, that's what it's all about. He's going to go to the deeper issues of the heart because that's what he's after. He's not just after your works. He's after the interior of man where he resides, that we are that light that he has called us to be. So I'm going to go through these um, basically five through seven, and I'm going to tell you, kind of hit the points of what he, he says to us. He says that murder is in the heart. When we are angry with someone and we harbor unforgiveness and we do not seek reconciliation with that person or forgiveness with the Lord, it is the same as murdering someone in the eyes of the Lord. That's pretty heavy. Adultery is in the heart. When, when one lusts after another in their mind, it is the same as committing adultery in the eyes of the Lord. Number three, marriage and oaths are sacred. The Lord is a God of covenants and desires us to be just as committed in our marriages and to the covenants that we make with other people. That he really takes that when, he, when I say I'll do something, that I do it. That's a reflection of him and his promises towards us. And that's what he wants us to be towards others as well. He wants us to go the second mile and to love our enemies. When, when someone slaps you, give them the other cheek. That is not a command to be abused. It is a command to love those who are not easy to love. We love like this because God has loved us in the same way. And that is the only way to, end your, to win your enemy, not retaliation. These are heavy things. These are things that are very hard for us as humans daily. He says, do good because it pleases God. He encourages, encourages good works for good work's sake. Not so others can think you're great and wonderful, but because you can be an extension of the Lord to others. He teaches us then how to pray. He says that you need to know how to pray. The Lord's prayer helps cover every need of the human heart and life. Then he talks about fasting. Fasting is like prayer. It is a setting aside of something to seek the Lord. Fasting isn't, others, isn't for others to see. It is something that is intimate between you and the Lord. Then he tells us to lay up treasures in heaven. 
Treasures in heaven do not rust or decay like treasures that, like the treasures of the earth. We seek lasting treasure. Then he tells us that our eye is a lamp. He, he's encouraging us to watch what we watch. He is telling us your eyes are what you let in light or darkness. So how do you let in light or darkness? Often the time it's by the things that we see and the things that we hear. God or riches, pursuit of God and the pursuit of riches are at odds. Both require servanthood. He tells us to do not worry. He says that worry is a sin because we have a God who will take care of all of, all of our needs. Then he tells us do not judge. This is not to say that we won't know others by their fruit, but it is a sin when we judge others while not judging ourselves. We often accuse others with no self-examination. We have to remove the plank from our own eyes first, which says our eyes, our sins are usually greater than the ones we seek to judge. Then he says, keep asking, seeking, and knocking. If we ask, we will receive. Don't give up the asking, the seeking, and the knocking. Then he says, they're known by fruits. Those who are false, especially false prophets, will be known by their fruits. A cherry tree cannot produce pears. Trees may look similar, but the manifestation of the fruit describes the type of tree. The same is with people. Then we have this, this really strong message of I never knew you. It is not about proclaiming Jesus. We have to know him. This illustration says that they claim to know Jesus, but Jesus declares that he doesn't know them. I always thought that was interesting. They say, I know you, but he says, I don't know you. This tells us that the relationship with Jesus is the most vital aspect of being a Christian, is being known by both ends, not just on one end. Then, finally, we hear, build your life upon the rock. Only second to knowing Jesus is building our lives on his word and obeying. The messages are heavy. They're things that confront our hearts and confront our lives. But this is the kingdom lifestyle. For those who walk in him, he doesn't just require us to do it. He wants to enable us to do it. And it's a, in partnering with a kingdom lifestyle, there's an interaction of this is your part and this is my part. Many of the things listed in the sermon are things that most people battle with in their lives, which are anger, lust, vengeance for wrongdoing, keeping our words with others, being committed to the ver- marriage vows daily, Fear of man and pride, approval from men, works done out of wrong intentions instead of pleasing God, what we entertain, money, worry, how to overcome, what does it look like to know Jesus truly. The Lord shows us that no matter what tries to navigate our lives, there is a kingdom solution to the obstacle. We can take the wheel through his help and through the word. If the Sermon on the Mount teaches us anything, it is that life takes place on the inside of our hearts. Our heart is the decision maker. Who has your heart has your life. So who has your heart today? I am sure many of you would say a family member would pop into your mind, but that is actually the wrong order of the kingdom. And and that does not mean that Jesus doesn't love family or that Jesus doesn't love us or doesn't want you to love and care for your family. But it's out of order when he's not first place in our lives. 
Because, yes, our prayers are that we will spend eternity alongside of our families. But heaven is not primarily for family reunions. It is for those who have wholeheartedly given their lives and their affection to Jesus. Heaven is all about Jesus, and that will never change. That is why Jesus talks to those whom he commands to depart from him at the gates of heaven. It wasn't about which family members were already there. It was about knowing him, and that's the way it will always be. Not because he doesn't love us. In fact, it's because he does love us. The Sermon on the Mount are just a list of rules that are impossible to fulfill. They are a roadmap to how he wants us to help us, and when we face these issues that we for sure will face. They are a reminder that the navigator does not have to control you, but that Jesus will truly, quote-unquote, take the wheel as we seek him to help us. Because he knows that you can't do it on your own. He knows I can't do it on my own, and that's the point. But we do our part in trusting him to help us. And and I, I was writing this last night, and I was thinking because, you know, um, sometimes when the, the automatic reaction is when we hear these things and it touches a nerve. Um, oh, I did that so I know when to stop. So and I, I did real, I'm doing really good. That's because I'm, I'm close. Oh, yeah, because I am getting ready to close. Um, and, and so I, um, I realized that so many times that the greatest thing that we have to overcome sometimes is the offense of what Jesus says and how we're supposed to do it his way. But I realized that when Jesus is talking to us and he's telling us the way that we should do things, he's doing it not just because he's God and that's the way he wants to do it. It's because he's doing it towards us, and it's because he loves us, and he wants to help us. Because I remember, you know, you've heard the saying, it's like, um, oh, how does it go? I want to say it rightly. It's like, um, is it unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies? Or so it's, it's something to that extent is that, you know, when you have anger in your heart towards somebody else, really that is poisoning you. And a lot of times that person is living their life without thinking about what you've done. And so when, when God is saying, you know, release this anger to me, release the pain of this situation to me, you know, watch these things that you put before you over and over you will see in scripture, it's because it leads to our own destruction. It isn't just because God doesn't want you to do it because he's just this God who's holy. And there is a measure that we don't do it because of his holiness, but it's because he loves us and cares about us. And he has a kingdom solution for every area of our life. That's why he's saying, you know, you just because you're right in front of me, I'm going to say Betty, you know, say that there's a situation in her life where she's going, you know, I wish this circumstance would change. And what Jesus often does is goes, Betty, is it the circumstance or does your heart need to change? And, and that's how God does it with us, is that he takes a circumstance in our life that goes, if the, we can, there's sometimes that circumstances will change the situation. If I had more money, that would, you know, pay a bill. That's going to change my circumstance. But there's some things in our life when I say, you know, this is a circumstance or I'm saying, and especially if we're like, if that other person would change, if that situation and that thing would change in my heart. But God, oftentimes God is going, is that really the matter? Because many times we say the fruit is the matter, and Jesus says it's the seed. And so um, I'm going to take a drink because my throat's going to dry real quick. 
So when Jesus is asking us and giving us the Sermon on the Mount, he's basically saying, where's your heart? If you want to follow after me, these things are going to sound heavy. But if you can trust me that it's because I love you and it's for your good, and you can trust me to come to, you, to, come to me with these things, you will see that there is a better way. Because counterculture in the kingdom is the way of life. It's the way of abundance. It's the blessed and happy are you. And you will find that there's true life when you walk it out, even though sometimes it's very difficult to walk with him through it, especially when someone has done you wrong or you're facing circumstances of unforgiveness, particularly in your heart. But you know what's really cool about this is that Jesus knows exactly what it's like to be hurt. That he came to those that he came to save and they rejected him. That he came to love and pour out his life and they're the very ones who crucified him. That while we were enemies, Christ died for us. That there were not many that were there that loved him when he hung on the cross. But yet he still took the fullness of sin and forgave us all. All of us. And that's the amazing thing of why we can walk in the kingdom together fully. And so today I really wanted to challenge you to read Matthew 5 through 7 and maybe choose one passage where you need him to help you. Maybe I I have a journal that I write in. Maybe take a journal and write out that verse and how you need Jesus to help you in this area. And then throughout this week, read and pray through your journal every day. And see if there's progress by next week. Because I can tell you, it really does change. There's something that conspires when we go, Jesus, I need help with this area of my life. Help me to forgive them. You know, help me to, you know, overcome in this area or see breakthrough in this area. And we ask, seek, knock every day for it, that he does come in and bring the help and the supply. And so that's why I wanted to talk. It was real funny. I was like, why is it? I have to be honest. I didn't want to preach on this today because <laughs> it's really kind of heavy. And I thought, Lord, but I thought I don't also, I know that sometimes we need a heavy word to awaken all of us because, um, because God knows that there's things in all of our life that might be an obstacle and he wants us to help us overcome, you know, and he wants us to know that help is always there and help is always on the way. And so that's why I wanted to preach on the Sermon on the Mount today. So I'm going to go ahead and, um, and pray, and, and we'll close today. Lord, we just come before you, and we thank you for your message. We thank you for this sermon, and we thank you that help is truly there. Lord, we just ask that whatever, if there was one of these that struck a nerve with us today, that we're like, ugh, God, I don't like that one. But Lord, I pray that you would help us in those areas, that You would help us if it's areas of unforgiveness, if it's areas of wanting to be seen and known, Father, feeling rejected. Father, if it's areas of what we put before our eyes or what we put before our ears, God, and and Lord God, things that are just constant negatives or pressures in our life. Lord, I ask that you would have these things this morning. Lord, we give them to you and we, we are determined not to take them up again, but to continue to ask, seek, knock, knowing that you give the great exchange, Father. We are your disciples, and those who walk after you must walk in spirit and in truth. And so we say thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for your kindness, and thank you that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.